Hello everyone, Matt here and welcome to Looking Back at Lost, where each week I look at another episode of ABC's Lost to see how that episode fits into the series as a whole. Today I'll be covering episode 212 entitled Fire and Water. And with that, here's the Wikipedia summary for the episode. In flashbacks, the episode begins with Charlie as a child, receiving a new piano. His family wants him to use his musical talent to save them and get them out of their current impoverished circumstance, but his father, dressed as a butcher, appears, saying he ain't saving no one he is, and cuts the head off of a doll with a cleaver. The scene changes to the island's shoreline, where Charlie hears the sound of a baby crying from inside his piano and realizes that it is baby Aaron. He tries to open the piano, but it is pulled out to sea. Charlie then wakes up from his nightmare and rushes to check on Aaron, who he eventually learns is being safely cared for on the beach. Later, Charlie, as an adult, is seen in the hospital, where his brother's girlfriend has just given birth to a daughter named Megan after Charlie and Liam's mother. However, Liam's increasing drug habit is causing problems. It prevented him from showing up at the birth, and is interfering with the brother's band, Driveshaft. When Karen throws him out, Liam turns up at his brother's doorstep, but abuses Charlie's hospitality by secretly selling his piano, defensively claiming that he needed the money in order to travel to Australia to get a job and enter rehab, quote, for his family. On the island, hearing a baby's cries, Charlie looks toward the ocean and sees Aaron's cradle floating away. He swims out to save the baby and brings him back to the beach, where Claire and Charlie's mother, dressed as angels, repeatedly call out to Charlie that he must save the baby. Hurley also appears, dressed as John the Baptist. Charlie awakens from his dream, finding that he is holding Aaron on the beach, but with no memory of how it happened. A frantic Claire runs up and takes her baby back from Charlie and slaps him across the face. When Charlie tells Echo about his dreams, Echo says that the dreams might mean that Charlie needs to save the baby, but Charlie misunderstands him. He goes to Claire and expresses his concerns about Aaron being in danger, meaning that they must baptize him. But Claire no longer trusts him after he repeatedly lied to her. Charlie heads to his hidden stash of heroin-filled Virgin Mary statues, but Locke follows him and confiscates them, despite Charlie's protest that he was going to destroy them himself. Locke then stores the statues in the hatch, in the same room where the guns are being secured. Later that evening, Charlie starts a fire as a diversion and steals Aaron from his crib. He runs toward the ocean to try and baptize him, but Claire notices their absence and runs toward them screaming. Charlie is reluctant to give Aaron back and tries to convince everyone that he was just trying to save the baby. Eventually, Locke persuades Charlie to give Aaron back and hands him back to Claire. At the end of his rope, Locke punches Charlie repeatedly, leaving him breathless and bloody. With him lying in the water, the surrounding crowd lingers for a moment and leaves without offering any help to him. Despite everything that happened, at the end of the episode, Claire seeks out Echo herself, and at her request, he baptizes both her and Aaron. And with that, let's now get into my thoughts about the episode. Unless this is the first time that you're listening to Looking Back at Lost, you'll know that, of course, I was overjoyed that this was another Charlie episode, uh, even though he's once again 
presented in a very unflattering light. It's uh, it's nonetheless great to see him here. So the episode, of course, starts in a presumed flashback. Uh, it's a fantastic job that they've done finding a location, or at least dressing a location, or perhaps even a set, I don't know. It just looks so darned English, or at least what I imagine, uh, you know, a lower middle class uh, home in England looks like, especially around the holidays. As I was watching the episode, I was actually wondering if the mom is actually English, though. Her her accent sounded off. Uh, a quick visit to IMDb said that, yes, indeed, she was born in England, but I don't know, perhaps she just wasn't as good uh, doing the Northern English accent, or I, I don't know, but something sounded slightly off. Uh, perhaps it's just my, my miscreant American ways, but... Anyhow, uh, when this scene turns from a presumed flashback into a vision or a nightmare, uh, there's fantastic intercutting uh, from young Liam to grown Liam to grown Charlie, and then the, the it's not quite an unseen dad, but you only see him from you know, about the armpits down. Uh, you, know, you see the dad butchering meat and baby dolls. Uh, I wonder, too, if this was a Beatles reference. The United States Beatles album, Yesterday and Today, um, was uh, released by Capitol Records uh, in the United States. Um, it was only issued in the United States and Canada. You you, you can't get it anymore now that uh, the proper uh, British versions of albums have uh, of the Beatles albums are, are the only ones available. But anyhow, this album, this Beatles album, Yesterday and Today, it's remembered primarily, says Wikipedia, for the controversy surrounding its original cover image, the Butcher cover, which featured the band dressed in white smocks and covered with decapitated baby dolls and pieces of meat. Uh, how it is that Capitol Records allowed this to be a cover initially, uh, I don't know. Just as a side, a little trivia note, the solution after they had printed so many that they couldn't merely throw them all out. The solution was to put a sticker on top of it with the, the new cover. So anyhow, I wonder if dad butchering uh, meat and baby dolls is a Beatles reference, especially for Charlie, the Liverpudlian rocker. Um, back to this show, though. Uh, there's excellent camera work as that scene wraps up. I, I don't know whether it's done via blue screen or perhaps rear projection, um, but Charlie's in the house, uh, then there's a close-up on the piano keys, and then the camera pulls back to Charlie playing in the surf. Um, now that I think about it, I actually think that it is rear projection, and the difference is this. Uh, I assume most people listening know know what blue screen is. That's, uh, let's say, in one basic example, uh, on Star Trek, whenever they're um, looking at the view screen, what they've done is placed a big uh, blue screen or yellow screen or orange screen or whatever color does not appear uh, in in the palette of the set. They'll put that over the, the view screen, and then later on, that's the color that the computer can key in on for them to add stars or a Klingon ship or, or this sort of thing. That's separate from rear projection, which is where uh, there literally is a screen behind the character, let's say in this case Charlie, uh, as I think this is a rear projection uh, effect, you put a screen behind him, and then behind that you put a projector of sorts. So you're projecting to the rear of the screen, but you're looking at uh, at the other side. Um, and I think that's how they do it, in part because when the intercut does occur, um, you there's a change of the light on the piano, on Charlie's hands, which I think is just the, the light coming off of the screen, which now is behind him. So 
moving on from these blisteringly interesting technical details about rear projection effects and Beatles references, um, it's it, it nonetheless is a nice transition into uh, the world of the show out of this, um, not a flashback, but out of this nightmare. Um, and there's nice camera work as well as the dream is ending. Uh, at this point, the piano has fallen over and it's being uh, pulled towards the waves by the, the receding waves. And there's a shot, maybe it's for a second, it's nothing that is meant to stand out too greatly, but there's a shot uh, where the piano is indeed kind of splashing around in the surf and the show plays that clip backwards, making it appropriately trippy. Um, with that, the teaser act in... in uh, the real world of the island. The teaser act ends with Charlie watching Claire and Aaron and Locke. Uh, then he creepily retreats into the shadows. Uh, and it's... There, there, I've mentioned in the past how Charlie staring at the heroine, let's say when, uh, when it's first revealed that there's the, the Virgin Mary statues, um, it made me think of Lord of the Rings and kind of the, the call of the ring, the corrupting call of the ring. And uh, I feel like there's a little bit of Gollum in, in Dominic Monaghan's performance in this scene. As, he, as I say, he kind of retreats into the shadows. And you can almost see him, again, not literally, but you can almost sense that he's wanting to, to curl over and, and uh, you know, act in a Gollum-esque manner. But it certainly is that mini scene, that scene in the reality of the show on the beach, um, I mean, it's Charlie in a nutshell. You have caring Charlie versus evil Charlie, and uh, just a nice, a nice mix. Nice to have Charlie and all his flaws. Um, and you know what? This is what I'm about to say. It's just struck me, and uh, so here we go. The the magic of live to tape or live to whatever the proper thing is to call for tape here. But um, anyhow, it's just struck me about the theme of baptism in this episode, which I, I suppose we're a tad early on, but let me just mention this. How does Charlie die? He dies in water. What's the whole issue in this? It's baptizing Aaron. I'll mention towards the end of the episode that the irony is that, you know, Charlie gets pummeled by John the Baptist. Uh, Locke, uh, you know, punches him into the surf, so who gets baptized at that moment? It, 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 baptizing quotes, of course, but... Uh, if baptism was getting your clock cleaned, then Locke does it there. But just the water imagery in this episode and connecting it to Charlie's final episode, which we'll, uh, oh, we'll be getting to in about 20 weeks or so. So keep listening. But back to this episode. Um, so we have the teaser act over. We have the title card. And then th this episode really presents a compelling series of flashbacks. Um, especially as the first flashback develops, with Liam's daughter being born, Charlie there, he's apparently sober enough to handle it, appreciate it, etc. Uh, and of course, Liam not there. Uh, it's a nice contrast to the Liam that we've seen as well. Uh, the clean one from the first flashback, the recovering addict, and I mean, yes, to be fair, in that episode as well, um, we did, uh, you know, of course, see uh, Liam living in excess and wanting to, uh, to you know, to suck at the teat of fame and uh, and drug use and multiple women at the same time and this sort of thing, but um, it's I mean certainly the the the, the memory or the, the last time we saw Liam here he was in that garden in Sydney glasses on wearing a sweater over a collared shirt which of of course is a sign of of being uh, 
mature and responsible and having those wild poor decisions behind you but um it's just it's just a nice contract the first time of contrast the first time we see see liam in this episode he's so different from the last time we saw him uh there's also great set design too uh, of uh, charlie's loft the loft look it, they've really nailed it i'm assuming it's a set just because it's not um that big a room uh, kind of sells the loftness because it's l-shaped and because it has an elevator uh, entrance but you know there's nothing to suggest that they found some some loft space in hawaii and used that when it you know it, it really is not that big a set um particularly once you can move the camera around it, it, it it's not that big um but it's great design nonetheless down to that wavy union jack flag on the elevator door very very nice indeed uh, after this flashback, we see Sawyer getting physical therapy from Kate, and no, that's not a metaphor. Uh, we also see Hurley inquiring about Libby, and then Sawyer commenting on the relationship between Jack and Anna Lucia. I love the pace of this episode. They clearly have settled into oftentimes incrementally moving a bunch of characters along, as opposed to focusing on one or two people and then relegating everyone else to montage. Uh, it's just nice. It's nice that as big a Charlie fan as I am, I mean, you get you get Charlie in this episode, Claire, Aaron, Locke, Sawyer, Kate, uh, Jack to a small degree, but but Jack nonetheless, a scene or two of Anna Lucia, Echo, Libby. Um, there, those are all. I mean, maybe with the exception of Anna Lucia, everybody gets. A gets their moment, gets their close-up, so to speak, for this episode. Uh, Sun has the smallest bit of dialogue in it. Lostpedia says the Jin appears without lines. I honestly don't even remember seeing him, so uh, it certainly wasn't that critical. So it's not like they include everyone equally, but certainly, you know, Sawyer has his three or four scenes. Uh, uh, Hurley has a number of scenes, uh, as we'll talk about. In the Lostpedia section, there were more Hurley scenes that got cut for time, most unfortunately. Uh, but it's a nice format type of episode. Different, say, than, oh, well, the, the episode with Kate's plane, uh, I mean, marginally had anyone in it who wasn't Jack Kate Sawyer um, for the island story. So it's nice that they're that they're sharing the love. Um, in Charlie's second vision the one where he saves uh, Aaron from the ocean, uh, I couldn't help but chuckle at a bit of a connection. I don't know that it's an intentional illusion, but here we have Aaron in his basket in the water of the ocean, which to me was so reminiscent of uh, Moses in the basket, and then the biblical Moses, of course, being, uh, pardon me, the biblical Aaron, of course, being Moses' brother. So just a nice little bit of... uh, connection and certainly if i mean it's a connection that can be made insofar that what what charlie is seeing is not happening it is a a dream or a delusion or or this sort of thing and um so the the fact that he is constructing it there you go he's constructing his own biblical connection and we know of his uh his appreciation for religion when he was younger and uh and all that so it's it all works nicely. Um, I love, too, that uh, just the, the way in which the computer-generated Halo discs look above the heads of Claire 
and Charlie's mother, Megan. They just look, you know, it, it, it's more than just the halo ring. Uh, certainly, and I'm no art scholar, but the I, I believe I've seen uh, halos that do appear disc-like and not kind of ring-like, but it just... When they move their head, they, they, you know they've gone to the trouble to track the head and for the for the halo to move with it, and it's uh, it's just a nice it's a nice little effect. And uh, of course, speaking of effects, eagle-eyed viewers will also notice the plane crashing on the left-hand side. This being in that um, second vision scene where it kind of looks like the painting. Um, there's just the briefest moment where you can see a plane. Uh, going down but sure enough it's there and um, I'll mention too it was not visible back in the day without widescreen and it's something I mean this was a you know this the second season in in my mind this was the height of uh, the lost community working together Uh, you know uh, some of the less dedicated people hadn't hadn't checked out yet Um, there's also just I think there's the argument to be made that in the second season, they're not quite sure what to do with all this time. They're not quite sure what to do with 24 episodes. So they know where they want to start. They know where, you know, they, they kind of have a sense of the others and the Michael stuff. I would even argue, I mean, perhaps the first 10 episodes or so. I mean, the the whole, uh, you know, Rafties, Tailies, Shannon dead, Michael runs off. I think that that, you know, Walt taken, I think that, that whole storyline that that's that's pretty consistent in its pace and then at a certain point we start to pick up the pace again as the season wraps up somewhere in this muddy middle here um i think they're just trying to stretch things out a bit uh now in that stretching out what do you end up with you end up with uh widmore references you end up with ben appearing as henry gale um but there's, as I say, there's a bit of a stretching going on here. But it's things that the lost community at the time, we, we were all just absolutely eating it up. And I just remember, particularly this season, but into, into the third season as well, um, just so you watch this episode live or you watch it on TiVo or, or DVR or recorder, you know, however you recorded it, you watch it fairly quickly after the air date and then you know by the weekend stuff would be appearing from the lost community from people who were able to do uh widescreen uh screen caps uh the things that you couldn't see uh unless it was in widescreen and there'd be these fr- you know frame by frame captures of the plane going down and whatnot and uh i was just reminded of all of that i was uh, as i was watching this episode and i could see a little corner of the plane without all that trouble anyhow Back to this, uh, back to this episode once again, um, and indeed also back to the Hurley Love Connection storyline. Uh, Sawyer's trying to push things along a little bit more, and uh, I'll mention too that that's at the end of a rather humorous uh, bit where um, uh, Hurley clearly does not know how to play. I think they're playing blackjack, and Hurley clearly doesn't know how to play blackjack. So that's a that's humorous enough, but. Uh, Sawyer, uh, amiable as always, tries to uh, uh, speed things up a little bit between uh, Hurley and Libby, and that then leads to a metaphor that is perhaps the most crass thing 
certainly said and lost so far, perhaps said in the, in the entire course of the series. Well, well, look who's off to the laundromat. Well, go on. I'm sure you've got a load you need to drop in, don't you, Jethro? I'm kind of waiting for my moment. <laughs> now, I am no... Uh, no, no stranger to double entendre, and I certainly appreciate it. As uh, some of you know, who have emailed, you know who you are. But uh, that's that's a bit crass for my tastes, uh, given the palette of the show. You want to plunk that into an R-rated movie, or a PG-13 movie, or a show on ten o'clock at night, or even nine o'clock at night. Fine. To me, it's just a bit. I was going to say on the nose, but then we're really going to be having metaphors on metaphors here. But it's a bit much to you know drop a load, and it's it's just a tad tad too crass for my tastes for this show, which rarely uh, rarely needs to go so blue. But I would even wonder too how that how that made it past the the standards and practices people at ABC. And again, I mean, it's not you know it's not kind of overly sexual it certainly is not you know it's not in the venue of uh you know a racist comment or 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 this sort of thing but just made me kind of it got my attention i'll tell you that anyhow moving on charlie speaks to Locke about uh wanting to get help uh, in regaining claire's trust um and i love that they include some commentary on the other parts of uh, of the show and when i say show i mean the series uh Yes, Charlie's accused of using drugs, but here he's referring to Kate seeing the horse and everyone seeing Walt, and it's just kind of this uh, reminder that they're they're aware of uh, of what we're seeing too. Uh, I'll mention, you know, back in two thousand five, I guess this is now two thousand six when this episode is airing. Uh, certainly, there was there was a lot of discussion of who knows what, and I think to the point where there was enough buzz online that the show uh, at some point inserted a line to confirm, you know, just to kind of say, you know, oh, I remember when you told me that, blah, 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 you know, last night, but there had been no last night shown on the show. That was just the the show's way of saying, yes, they really do talk when you're not around watching the show. Um, but there's a, there's this nice little reference here, just that, that you know, <laughs> these moments of human drama, you know, you must trust me despite the fact that I'm a drug addict. That's real world enough. But then they, you know, you know, then there's this moment of, you know, we're, we're at home saying, well, you know, what about Kate's horse? And, and, and Charlie refers to it. So, uh, with that, we go to flashbacks again, and we see how far everyone has fallen with drive shaft in diapers, hawking diapers. By the way, I'll mention, I, I didn't have this in my notes, in part because it's rather gross, but uh, in the first flashback, which is the, the nightmare, when we see grown-up Liam in the diaper on the couch, uh, the blue line on the diaper is blue. And uh, you, those of you with babies might recall that that usually shows that there's something wet in the diaper, or at least something moist. So I don't know what to make of that. I'll just point it out there that the character of Liam in Charlie's uh, nightmare appeared to be wearing a wet diaper, and then I wonder how 
that occurred for the actor. Uh, and indeed on that topic, back to this particular scene, uh, the diaper commercial, as funny and degrading as that scene is, I had to wonder what it's like for an actor to read in the script that there'll be an adult diapers. Um, it's just going to be this moment where you say, you know, I mean, especially for the guy that plays Liam. I think he's UK-based. I'm not sure. At the very least, he's not Hawaii-based. So here he is. The phone rang. Hey, we want you to come back, do another episode. We'll fly you out to Hawaii. We'll put you up in a hotel. You'll earn your payday as an actor. By the way, you need to spend two scenes in a diaper. (laughs) So, say la vie. Say la vie. Um, After the commercial... Uh, or the, the the diaper commercial, that is. Uh, Charlie follows the director outside. And I remember anticipating in this episode, having heard from the, the buzz online, that the official Lost podcast, previous to this episode, had teased a big Easter egg at the Battersea PowerPoint, uh, Power, PowerPoint, Battersea Power Plant. They said, watch out for the Battersea Power Plant. There's a big... You know, the universe is, uh, of this show is going to be widened that much more, and there's going to be an Easter egg, which isn't going to be big now, but it's going to end up being a huge Easter egg later on. Watch out. Now, when Lindelof and Cuse said that, it was before the final cut of the show had been watched by them. Because there is, on the Battersea pla- power plant, there is a computer-generated thing, and it is the tiniest of signs reading Widmore Construction on the power plant. This further, this is something that probably was cut off by non-widescreen TVs. Even now, watching it, I mean, I, have, I don't have a huge TV, but I have a TV that, you know, is uh, uh, 720p HD, and I'm watching it on, on Netflix in its full HD capacity at 720p, and it's a, you know, it's a nice-sized TV. It is barely legible. It's, I would even, frankly, I'd even go back and say they might have wanted to uh, change that effect for, uh, you know, for the, the, the final release of the, uh, the series on DVD and digital sources and Blu-ray and all that. Uh, I know there was an episode that we talked about where, was it with mm, Penny's picture, was it? I think that was it. I mean, it wouldn't have been the first time that a small change was made to accommodate uh, the the vision of the show uh, in light of something that could not have been um, been done properly first go round. I think it is the, 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 this business with Penny's uh, uh, the, the the photograph of Penny that Desmond has at, at the beginning of this season. But anyhow, it's like a pitiful little sign there. But nonetheless, in retrospect, it is kind of cool. We have the first Widmore reference, and then, of course, it'll show up with uh, Henry Gale's balloon and, and whatnot later on as we, uh, as we will talk about those in due course. But back to Hurley and Libby. There's a lovely little moment where Hurley, oh, they're, they're, they're in the, uh, the hatch doing laundry, and she's, she's clearly flirting back with him, and he's not quite sure how to handle it, in part because he keeps, there's this, the wheels in his head are turning, and not, not for those reasons, you you naughty people. Um, it's because he thinks he's seen Libby before, and he even says it. Um, even first-time viewers 
but certainly us, you know, upon retrospect, we can appreciate that. But even for first-time viewers, you'd have your your antenna up with that. It's signaling that something isn't right. It's one of these things that in in you know five or ten or twelve episodes later, when a re- another reference is made to that, uh, you're supposed to make the connection, or at least have someone remind you that there's a connection, a la Saeed uh, on the TV at uh, Kate's real father's uh, uh, recruiting station. It's one of those things where you say, well, what are they going to do with that? And then when they finally uh, do show Saeed in Iraq, you have this moment of, uh, of connection. Um, and and it's, it's just a good bit of foreshadowing of crazy Libby. Moving on. Uh, it's really an incredible episode, as I had said before, in terms of sharing the wealth. Charlie goes to Echo to recap that a heroin statue was given to Charlie. Uh, we see Echo making trees ahead of his church build, which is something else that ultimately went nowhere due uh, to Echo leaving the show, I would imagine. Uh, and Charlie um, kind of gets from Echo this uh, good old-fashioned Old Testament dream analysis, you know, real kind of Joseph stuff here. Uh with that, uh, Charlie goes to uh, goes to Claire to share this notion of he must be baptized, and Kate uh, escorts him out rather forcefully. Um, and then the scene ends wonderfully with a fantastic wraparound shot of Locke watching the scene from afar, darkly pondering. And I'm sure that this is meant to be a, a visual quote of the scene where Locke has brought uh, uh, Walt's dog, uh, Vincent, back um, and then convinces Michael, you know, hey, Michael, you take it, so he loves you as the dad, blah, blah, blah. And um, there's the same shot with Locke Locke from the distance watching. Um, And I'll mention, too, we also have a case of here it's Locke acting paternally. And it's something that I discuss uh, in a bit here in my notes. I don't see it, but I'm sure I'll come come across it in due course. But we have in this episode Locke clearly showing paternal concern for Aaron, and it's it's not new. Uh, the building of the uh, of the uh, the basket, etc. Um, it's just interesting that interesting that we see Locke oftentimes on this periphery of father, and as I say in the notes in a bit, father but not husband. He's not looking to get with Claire, he's just looking to be a good and present father for, or father figure of sorts, a fatherly type for uh, Aaron, just as he was with uh, with Walt. And, uh, I mean, certainly if that, if there's any comment to it, it's the comment of Locke having grown up without uh, a father, period, and then, ha- fi- you know, when finally meeting uh, Anthony Cooper uh, to, to, um, to have known such an unreliable father. So it's it's uh, it's nice how internally consistent it is with the character. Anyhow, with that, back to flashbacks, and uh, there's a particularly good scene of Liam realizing that his heroin addiction is impacting his life. Uh, he did, after all, just, just drop his baby. Um, and there's this wonderful power, too, uh, when Charlie starts to play his new song. This song clearly mesmerizes Liam uh, the way that only art and hope can. 
Uh, and there's a fantastic little mistake that works as well. As Liam is walking over, the light in the scene catches his eyes in that red-eye photograph sort of way. Uh, it's at the 26 minute uh, and 4 second mark on DVD or Netflix. And his eyes just kind of light up there for a moment in that that way that we do not like to see for red-eye photograph. It's obviously a mistake, but it works as him being kind of called into the song and drawn into the beauty of it and the hope that it all represents. Nice, man. This could work. It's good, right? We could make it work. Right all night, just like the old days. All right. <laughs> so, baby brother. You got any? And it was all just a dream, at least uh, figuratively, that uh, that the song offered... Uh, a way out uh, for Liam uh, from heroin. Back on the island, Locke finds Charlie with his stash, and Locke says that he's disappointed. And I found it an interesting contrast that the man of faith has lost faith in one of the flock. And flock in the lamb sense, not the fake Locke moniker. Uh, It's interesting, too, that Locke takes the heroin away. Is this him taking away free will, perhaps? Um... Also, something that caught my eye was that Locke is so willing to become the de facto father to Aaron. Aha, here we here we go, the point in the notes. Um, but he apparently has no interest in being the de facto husband to Claire, uh, as, of course, Charlie does. And uh, I, I think that that sets up much of the, uh, much of the conflict uh, between them. Um, after that, there's then some rather paint-by-numbers business. Charlie starts a fire to divert everyone over there so he can steal the baby from here. Uh, and of course, that ends at the moment of highest tension. Clears back to Charlie, Charlie eyeing Aaron. Cut to a flashback uh, with a two-day clean Liam looking to restart a drug-free life in, wait for it, Australia. Hey, that's where we saw him the first time. You know, at the end of that episode. Look at that. We now can make a connection. Uh, I also love the irony that Liam sold Charlie's piano in order to get out of the UK and get out of drugs, along with the shading that he's going to this extreme for his family. There's the, there's the comment of, as Charlie says, hey, aren't I family? Um, th- there is also, of course, this notion of going extreme for family, just as Charlie has lit the fire for the sake of his quote-unquote family, and despite the fact that he's on the outside looking in uh, to that that family with Claire and Aaron. At any rate, seeing Charlie take the baby, it's, it's, it certainly is disappointing for me as a, as a Charlie fan. Um, and it's fitting as well that it becomes a showdown between Claire, Charlie, and Locke. And indeed, they're even arranged in a triangle. Uh, it's that, that triangle, you know, sometimes it's a triangle uh, love affair sort of thing. Certainly there's, there's not that quite here. But uh, the notion of a three-sided conflict is taken literally here in that they're in that they're standing uh, in that triangle shape, um, and then comes the ultimate realization for Charlie. Give me the baby. Echo, tell him, tell him, Echo, tell him what you told me that the baby has to be baptized. This is not the way. Charlie, come on, give him to me. Who the hell are you, John? Aaron's not your responsibility. Where were you when he was born? Where were you when he was taken? 
You're not his father. You're not his family. Neither are you, Charlie. So there you go. You have this moment for Charlie where he's being forced to accept the fact that he is not part of this family, uh, despite his efforts otherwise. Um, and then the the irony just continues uh, as and something I alluded to earlier in the podcast. After Charlie hands Aaron back over, Locke pummels him three times in the surf. Baptism indeed, and here it's been done by John, who's baptized him. Uh, and it's followed by universal looks of derision and disgust from our castaways. Hurley, Echo, Sun, etc. It's just uh, certainly a low point for old Charlie. Um in the final act, uh, aside from character wrap-up, uh, Jack counseling and healing, there's some rather pedantic dialogue uh, from uh, Charlie. It won't happen again, Jack. Um, you know, it's it, it, they're really it's they're just wrapping things up with the episode. Um, there is, however, there's a kick butt moment where Matthew Fox is uh, he actually starts to stitch the makeup cut on Dominic Monaghan's face. It's, I mean, they, that stitching needle that's kind of curved, he sticks it right into that prosthetic, and you see it go from one end to the other, and Dominic Monaghan's going, ah, you know, it's, it's nice. It's really, really nice. And uh, with that, we, we really do start to wrap up the episode. We see Claire uh, talking to Echo about religion, and it reminded me how little religion overtly played a role on the show. There are not particularly religious characters, certainly before Echo. Um, And seeing Claire and Aaron getting baptized so that, as Claire says, they can be together in the afterlife, uh, it of course was something that reminded me of the finale, where Claire and Aaron are together as they first were, uh, as a pregnant mother carrying her child. And I also thought, too, getting baptized by a non-priest by an awful man who was ruthlessly killed. Uh, if you accept it, then then maybe there is forgiveness after all, or at least a fresh start. And I, I couldn't help but think, uh, again, how great it would have been for Echo to have been at that church scene in the finale, uh, particularly in light of him baptizing this episode. Uh, it just would have been this wonderful coda to his own redemption. Uh, alas, the road not taken by a greedy actor. Uh, because to have seen the character redeemed like that at the church uh, would have been special indeed, as I say in light of this episode. Uh, The episode cuts to Locke packing away Virgin Mary's in the gun locker, and then Charlie is by the water, ominously staring into the fire. And that ends the discussion about the episode, but of course not the podcast. Let's now take a look at some bits and pieces from Lostpedia. Lostpedia has a lengthy bit about Catholic baptism and how it's presented in this episode isn't proper. Well, Echo isn't a priest. Besides, uh, if you'll allow a bit of editorializing, I I really think that even if he was the best of priests, under the circumstances, this would count. But anyhow, uh, another bit that Lostpedia has is uh, when Hurley and Libby are doing laundry in the hatch, Libby wonders if the washer and dryer are newer than anything else in the hatch. Uh... That, of course, is uh, just another uh, reference. Uh, you know, it's something that we, we have noticed on first viewing. Uh, but it's just a nice acknowledgement by the show. Uh, it's them, I think, at the very least, placating the fans who are up in arms over how the, the design isn't consistent. And they're saying, 
No, there's a there's a bit of a method to our madness here. Stay tuned. Um, Bosspedia also mentions, as I did, the Widmore construction banner, uh, and notes that this is the first reference to Widmore in the series. Um, also, a couple of deleted scenes uh, that uh, that that Lostpedia makes reference of. Uh, one is that um, there's an extended version of Hurley and Libby's laundry scene. Hurley asks what Libby did before the crash, and she tells him she was a psychologist specializing in marriage and children. Libby asks Hurley what he did before the crash, and he informs her of his lottery winnings, which uh, certainly is a trusting, uh, trusting thing for him to do. Lostpedia goes on to say that Hurley is amazed to see that Libby believes him and leads Hurley to ask Libby for a walk across the beach uh, one time, which ends up being their first date. Uh, there's also a deleted scene from this episode, says Lostpedia, that shows Anna Lucia and Echo having a conversation about the others. Anna Lucia informs Echo of Jack's plan to venture in the jungle after the others. Echo doesn't agree with the idea, thinking that they are safer where they are. Anna Lucia asks what happened to the Echo that killed two of them the night of the crash, and he tells her that he is sitting next to her, leaning on a tree. I wish that those two scenes were in there. Uh, as wonderful an episode as it is, it's a, these are two scenes that didn't need to be cut. These are not scenes uh, that are in excess. Perhaps you want to argue as an editor that Hurley asking Libby for the walk on the beach, that that's... Uh, it, it's not required for this episode. Guess what? This is a serial show. This is not. These are not self-contained episodes. They never have been. So it's a pity that that's not in there. And I just like too the notion of Anna Lucia saying, you know, well, hey, where'd the, where'd the tough guy go? And Echo saying, I'm right here. I'm calm, I'm, but I'm right here. So, alas, alas. And with that, I will mention we are now halfway through season two. It certainly is. Uh, it's it's going by. It's going by. Uh, plenty to go, but it's uh, it's always fun as always to do this. So let's now look ahead to next week. Next week is episode two fourteen, entitled "The Long Con," and uh, a couple of reminders. Uh, new episodes launch to the website, iTunes, and the Lost Podcasting Network on Mondays. I'll quickly uh, plug to the PhD podcast, uh, which I'm a part of, uh, available uh, if you search iTunes or for PhD, as well as uh, uh, phgeek.podbean.com. But enough about that show. Let's talk more about this show. Uh, if you'd like to share feedback, there's a bunch of ways to do it. First is you can call the voice message line at 732-707-1815. You can say hello to me on Twitter, where I'm looking back lost. You can send an email to lookingbackatlost at gmail.com. You can visit the webpage, lookingbackatlost.podbean.com. And as mentioned, you can always find the show on iTunes, where reviews are always appreciated. So thank you very, very much for listening. It is always great fun to be getting together with you and sharing my thoughts on Lost. And I look forward to speaking to you all again next week for 214 The Long Con. Take care, and bye-bye. Jethro?